From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Thursday, November the eighth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, exhibitors at the China International Import Expo in Shanghai have signed half a billion dollars in deals. Israeli officials say the country's troops are now battling Hamas militants in the heart of Gaza City. Ukraine and Moldova have taken a step towards membership in the European Union. In business, China wants to broaden market access for foreign-funded institutions. In sports, the Beijing Ducks secure a thrilling comeback victory in the CBA. In culture and entertainment, a Chinese artist featured at the UN complex in New York. Now checking the day's top stories. The ongoing Sixth China International Import Expo in Shanghai has seen a number of cooperation agreements signed. The expo's new product launch zone has staged 49 events. 42 exhibitors have debuted their latest technologies, products, and services at the CIIE. The U.S. Food and Agriculture Pavilion made its debut with 17 exhibitors, with over $500 million of deals signed there. Acting Deputy Undersecretary Jason Halfmeister of the United States Department of agriculture hails the huge potential of the Chinese market. China is a market of great potential. Currently, it's our largest export market for U.S. ag products, but we think it could grow even more. Uh, so we think that by encouraging interaction between officials and businesses on both sides, this will help remove barriers to trade, improve efficiencies, create greater knowledge of the products that are available, and this will promote sales. And it's in our interest because it's a good thing for our economy. They also help China. It provides good products at low prices, so it's really a win-win situation that we want to promote. And our two countries have already benefited from them, and they should continue to. 
as of noon on Wednesday. Participants have signed 96 cooperation agreements and reached more than 600 deals of intention for cooperation. Fruits from around the world are becoming a part of Chinese household diets. The ongoing CIIE is offering a wide range of choices. Daikai tells us how consumer demand is driving imports from Belt and Road partner countries. On the outskirts of China's commercial capital Shanghai, a bustling factory is busy taking in and shipping out produce. From bananas to durian, most of the fruit that good farmers sell comes from overseas. I've been told that these bananas have been here for about several days. They were mostly imported from Philippines and Ecuador, and this is where they're being ripened. Ethylene gas is used to trigger the process, and bananas start to produce their own heat because they just perspire like humans. And that's essentially how they turn from green to yellow. The journey started long before the fruit arrives in local supermarkets. Factory workers say these bananas would have been picked three to four weeks ago and shipped from their countries of origin. Chinese consumers buy large quantities of bananas on a daily basis. That's partly thanks to events like the China International Import Expo, or CIIE, one of the biggest trade fairs in China. Chinese people's appetite for fruit has changed in a big way in recent years. Fruits such as Thai coconuts, Chilean cherries, and Malaysian durians is increasingly making its way onto local dining tables. Chinese consumers are becoming more and more health conscious, and this growing focus on health and well-being is driving the demand for high-quality fruit sourced from across the world, and much of which comes from Belt and Road partner countries. Shanghai Customs data shows that in the first quarter of this year, Shanghai ports alone processed a whopping 380,000 tons of fresh fruit and nuts from Belt and Road nations, worth 1.75 billion yuan. Despite intense competition, importers are keeping a tight grip on quality control during harvesting, storage, and shipping. Fruit imports continue to increase thanks to expanding consumer demand and a surge in e-commerce. A vast majority of the 72 exhibiting countries at this year's Import Expo are Belt and Road partners. More than 1,500 companies from these nations are attending the event, which offers an exhibition area of up to 80,000 square meters. As China's market access broadens and customs clearance becomes more streamlined, fruit from even more Belt and Road partner countries is headed for the Chinese market. And that was Dai Kai reporting. Many foreign enterprises have expanded their market share in China by taking part in the CIIE. Australian cosmetics company Ivy Opal first came to the trade event last year. Company representative Nathan Tu says uh, the trade event has helped them establish connections with many traders in the Chinese market. And our participation uh, in the last CIIE has helped establish our brand as well uh, and strengthen our network in China. And uh, and lead and gave us more lead with the uh, partnership across the show as well. Well, this year Ivy Opals doubled its booth size at the event to lure more customers. Uh, Two says the positive feedback from the previous edition uh, is the major reason for his company to come back, and he looks forward to meeting more partners in China. Gives us a unique opportunity to show showcase our product. Yeah, the expo uh, also provides uh, uh, a stage to introduce our latest offering to potential partners as well and all the consumer across China and the world. 
This year, more than 3,400 exhibitors from around the world are participating in the event. And for years, Latin American countries have won the hearts of millions of Chinese consumers with products such as Colombian coffee, Spanish ham, and Argentine beef. Newer goods such as chocolate and even precious stones have also been making their way into the vast Chinese market, making the most of opportunities offered by global platforms such as the China International Import Expo. Zheng Dan has spoken with some of the exhibitors. China's economic transformation over the last few decades has offered Latin American countries the opportunity to increase their exports. Firms from these countries have been able to find their niche in the vast Chinese market thanks to their participation in platforms such as the CIIE, where they present new quality and healthy goods that meet the increasingly demanding needs of Chinese consumers. China is currently the biggest market for Colombia for the development of the log foods. And of course, being here at the CIIE has made this consolidation easier. The CIIE is the largest platform in China and Asia. For me, it was very important to be here, to know, to learn, and to continue expanding the business in China through this platform. China's reform and opening up policy has also enabled Latin American countries to overcome tariff and protocol barriers and introduce new products into the Chinese market. Thanks to the signing of the China-Ecuador Free Trade Agreement, producers of pitahaya, a drought-resistant cactus fruit, have gained access to the Chinese market this year. The import of Ecuadorian pitahaya into China coincided with the process of signing of the FTA with Ecuador. At the end of July 2022, the General Administration of Customs officially allowed the fruit's entry into China. The first batch entered the country during the 2023 production season. Currently, this fruit is mainly sold in China's first-tier cities, and the current sales channel is supermarkets. The demand for high-end fruits like this in China's first-tier cities is relatively strong. That was Zheng Dan reporting. Uh, promoting global trade and sharing the opportunities in China's vast market with the world have been major themes of the China International Import Expo. Uh, Gao Ang has caught up with World Trade Organization spokesperson Ismaila Diang to learn more about his view on the CIIE. The main challenge of the global economy right now is the fragmentation of global trade. And that could have negative impact because our economists have shown that uh, fragmentation of the global economy could lead to a 5% decline of global growth. So that's a significant risk. And at the WTO, what we are calling for is what our Director General calls re-globalization. It means diversifying supply chains and bringing in more countries, more regions into the global, economy, the global trading system so that we can support global growth and lift millions of people out of poverty. China is committed to promoting high-level opening up and high-quality development. How do you see its role in boosting the global economy? China is really a key player in the global trading system because, as you know, China has one, more than 1.4 billion inhabitants and 400 million people in this middle class. So that's a really big asset for the global trading system and China opening up will be a key factor in uh, reboosting global trade and global growth. Last year we predicted, uh, uh, we are predicting for 2023 0.8% growth of global trade. So that's, that's uh, low and we really want global trade to be 
coming back to the level where it needs to be to lift people out of poverty, and we think that China will be a key part of that story. What are the highlights of the WTO's participation in this year's CIE? We are really pleased to be here to first listen to, to business entrepreneurs, because for us CIA is really international trade in practice. We see business people from more than 150 countries exchanging ideas, discussing projects, also sharing ideas. It's also for us an opportunity to share our work, share our analysis, but also to listen to business so that we get a better understanding of uh, what's happening in the global trading system. And that was um, uh, w, uh, WTO spokesperson Ismail Young. China's vice president has visited Singapore on his first official trip to the Southeast Asian nation since stepping into his current role. Han Zheng met with Prime Minister Li Shenlong and other senior officials and gave the opening speech at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum. In his address, Han emphasized the importance of China-U.S. relations for the international community. Mira Lu has more from Singapore. Addressing a room of 500 policymakers and business leaders in Singapore, the Chinese Vice President Han Zhen said that Beijing is ready to strengthen dialogue with the United States on all levels and jointly address global challenges. More recently, as agreed by the two sides, China and the United States have had more important high-level interactions. These interactions have sent out positive signals and raised the expectations of the international community on the improvement of China-U.S. relations. In his 12-minute address, Vice President Han further reiterated China's stance against unilateralism and protectionism. Decoupling, severing industry and supply chains, and the so-called de-risking will all only divide the global economy into many isolated islands. We need to follow the, the laws of economics, support multilateralism, promote the free flow of production factors. What Vice President Han Zhen said sounds strikingly similar to what his predecessor, Mr. Wang Qishan, said back in 2018 at the very first Bloomberg New Economy Forum right here at the Capella Hotel in Singapore. Both leaders said that a stable U.S.-China relationship is the common interest of the international community. But the reality is the economic iron curtain has fallen down. China now trades more with Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin America than with its traditional trading partners like US, EU, and Japan. As the Singaporean foreign minister candidly pointed out that with the bilateral coming up in San Francisco, although the weather is improving, the overall climate of the US-China relationship remains challenging. Following his speech, Vice President Han attended a lunch hosted by Prime Minister Li Xianlong and held discussions with key ministers like Deputy Prime Minister Han Sui Kit. The vice president's trip underscores the strong ties between the city-state and China, which were recently elevated to an all-round, high-quality, future-oriented partnership. The visit is set to boost bilateral cooperation and facilitate dialogue on pressing regional and global issues. That was Miro Liu on Chinese Vice President Han Zheng's visit to Singapore. Coming up, Israeli troops are battling Hamas militants in Gaza City. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. 
Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. 14 minutes past the hour. Well, Israel says its troops are battling Hamas deep inside Gaza City. Well, Hamas says it's destroyed 15 Israeli military vehicles, including five tanks. Uh, Israeli forces say they were met with heavy resistance from Hamas fighters on Wednesday as they were using explosive devices to destroy Hamas's tunnel network beneath Gaza. Israel says it's destroyed 130 tunnel shafts so far. Uh, meanwhile, 50,000 Palestinian civilians are reported to have left northern Gaza for the south on Wednesday during a four-hour humanitarian corridor window. Uh, Gaza health authorities report that the fightings killed more than 10,500 Palestinians since the conflict began on October the 7th. Israel's reported over 1,400 deaths. Sam Mednick has more from Jerusalem. Israel has said that its troops are operating deep within the city of Gaza. This is significant. It indicates a new phase of the fighting, which is urban combat. Conflict experts that I've spoken to said to expect weeks-long, if not a months-long battle within the city of Gaza that could turn very bloody. Israel said it's already lost 30 soldiers at least, and it is expected to lose more. Still, it is pushing on with its offensive. On Wednesday, Israel said it killed a Hamas weapons and rockets manufacturer and that it is also continuing to destroy and dismantle the vast network of tunnels that Hamas uses for its operations, including which are under mosques, under kindergartens and other buildings. Israel accuses Hamas of using these residential buildings for its operations and of using the population as human shields. Hamas has rejected the fact that Israel has made gains into the city of Gaza and it accuses Israel of targeting civilians. On Wednesday, people living in the Shadi refugee camp said they heard many explosions overhead that went well into the evening. As the fight in Israel continues, there is this increasing concern that the conflict could escalate regionally. Israel's particularly worried about its northern border with Lebanon, where the militant group Hezbollah operates. Israel said that Hezbollah has about 150,000 rockets and missiles pointed directly at it. On Wednesday, Lebanon said it fired two rockets into Israel and that there were casualties. An associated press reporter in the area reported that there was heavy shelling. On Sunday, Lebanon said that Israel killed inside Lebanon four people, including three children and their grandmother. Israel said that the car they were in was, in their words, taking terrorists and that it was going to investigate the situation. Meanwhile, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is becoming increasingly absolutely catastrophic. This is according to what aid workers are saying. More than 10,500 people have been killed since the beginning of the war. Hundreds of thousands of people are still sheltering in the north where this fierce fighting is taking place. Israel has said that it is open to small humanitarian pauses, and in recent days it has left this corridor from the north to the south open for several hours each day, allowing people to go through. The United Nations has said that in recent days the number of people using this corridor has tripled to about 15,000 on Tuesday. Most people coming through are children, the elderly, as well as women. Still, all of those people in the north, the United Nations says, have no water, they have no food, there's no open bakeries, and they have no fuel. Hospitals are operating on people, including performing amputations, with no anesthesia. Those people who have managed to make it south don't have it much better off. Hundreds of people are sheltering in very small quarters. The United Nations said that in one building, 600 people are sharing one toilet. That was Sam Mednick uh, from Jerusalem.
Uh, the U.S. State Department's confirmed that the Rafa border crossing into Gaza closed on Wednesday due to an unspecified security circumstance. It added that the U.S. is working with Egypt and Israel to get it reopened. Hundreds of foreigners and dual nationals have evacuated through the Rafa crossing daily from Gaza into Egypt. Yasser Hakim spoke to a dual national Palestinian who just arrived in Egypt, and she recounted her family's experience fleeing Israel's bombardment. Amira Haruda, her husband and children are enjoying a few relaxing moments in Al-Arish, moments that were hard to come by in Gaza. So for us, for the first time that we feel somehow safe, you know, we don't feel safe during the last month. And um, it was like, you know, it's like brief for us that we are here and we are safe with our family. They showed me footage of the camp they stayed in after their home was damaged by airstrikes. Amira rejects claims by Israel that it is acting in self-defense. No words can explain exactly what's going on in Gaza. What's going on in Gaza, it's a genocide. The Israeli bombed everywhere, like they are killing civilians without any warning. And most of the casualty there, they are civilians, they are children, they are women. She also had to endure the grief of losing several family members in this conflict that claimed the lives of thousands of Palestinians. I lost my aunt with her children, with the, her daughters and the, the, their siblings. So all of them, they were killed. And they waited for two days to, to pull them out from the rubble of the homes. Just two days before I arrived here, we lost uh, three, uh, four cousins also. And still some of them under the rubble of the homes. Amira spoke of how everyone, even old women, are harshly treated by Israeli forces. My mom, she's 72, she's unable to walk and they want them to walk, just to walk to go to the south. And it's like a journey for four or five hours, maybe. I don't think that there is any words can explain my feeling now, especially that I know that my family is still under the, the, the bombing and the attack from the Israeli without any mercy. A whole part of me is still stuck in Gaza and, uh, and another part here with my children. The best she can do for now is to at least try to stay in touch with her mother and sisters. Amira and her family will go to Qatar, their resident nation. But she tells me she hopes there will be a ceasefire as soon as possible so that she can return to her family and loved ones in Gaza and rebuild the stricken city. That was Yasser Hakim reporting. The United Nations says a rare delivery of emergency medical supplies and medicines have reached El Shifa Hospital in northern Gaza. Officials say this is only the second batch to reach the hospital since the conflict erupted over a month ago and supplies are far from sufficient. Conditions at the hospital have been described as disastrous, with doctors forced to treat patients on the floor and even outdoors. Officials have urgently appealed for fuel and other essentials to be delivered to humanitarian aid agencies in Gaza. As the main medical facility in Gaza City, Al-Shifa has turned into a giant refugee camp for people who lost their homes in the conflict. The group of sevens called for action to address the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. The conflict topped the agenda of a two-day meeting of the G7 nation's foreign ministers in Tokyo. In a joint statement, they expressed support for humanitarian pauses and corridors to facilitate urgently needed assistance, as well as civilian movement and the release of hostages. The statement reads that G7 members are committed to preparing long-term solutions for Gaza. This includes a return to a broader peace process to resolve the Israel-Palestine conflict according to internationally agreed parameters. 
Media reports say a U.S. airstrike in Syria early Thursday killed nine people affiliated with the Iran-backed groups. The Pentagon's confirmed that it's a U.S.-led airstrike in Deir al-Zur, saying that two F-15 fighter jets launched the strike in the eastern city in response to recent attacks against U.S. forces. It's the second time in roughly two weeks that the United States has targeted a location in Syria with links to Iran. Uh, the rise in tensions comes on the heels of the Israel-Palestine conflict as pro-Iran fighters in Syria deem the U.S. responsible for escalating the situation in Gaza. The sole lawmaker of Palestinian descent in the U.S. Congress has launched an impassionate defense of her right to free speech after being censured by her colleagues in the House of Representatives. Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, which has a sizable Muslim community, was reprimanded for her comments criticizing Israel and the U.S. government's support for it. 22 Democrats bucked party leadership to support the censure and four Republicans opposed it. Benji Hyatt reports from Washington, D.C. The vote, which was largely symbolic in nature, concerned remarks and online statements by Rashida Tlaib that drew condemnation from both sides of the political aisle. The congresswoman posted a video over the weekend on X, formerly Twitter, that claimed President Biden supports the genocide of the Palestinian people. It included clips of protesters across the US chanting, from the river to the sea, a phrase which the Anti-Defamation League characterizes as anti-Semitic. Tlaib defended her use of the phrase, calling it a slogan for freedom, human rights and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction or hate. The majority of her colleagues felt otherwise. She told them she won't let her words be distorted. The idea that criticizing the government of Israel is anti-Semitic sets a very dangerous precedent, and it's being used to silence diverse voices speaking up for human rights across our nation. Do you realize what it's like, Mr. Chair, for the people outside the chamber right now, listening in agony to their own government dehumanizing them? To hear the President of the United States, we helped elect dispute death tolls as we see video after video of dead children and parents under rubble. Mr. Chair, do you know what it's like to fear rising hate crimes, to know how Islamophobia and anti-Semitism makes us all less safe? A censure resolution is one of the most severe forms of punishment in the House, but Tlaib will still be allowed to serve. A new poll out on Wednesday shows that Americans are divided over whether Israel has gone too far in its response to last month's terror attack by Hamas. The White House says Israel has a right to defend itself, yet the administration here is also pushing for a humanitarian pause as the death toll in Gaza rises. That was Benji Heyer in Washington. Coming up, Ukraine and Moldova each take a step towards EU membership. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Five minutes past the hour, Ukraine and Moldova are each one step closer to joining the European Union after receiving the green light from the European Commission for membership negotiations to begin. The talks could take years as the bloc's 27 member states comb through the applications to make sure the two countries have done enough to become the newest members. Alex Cadier explains. This announcement is a clear statement of intent from the European Union. It's keeping up the momentum for plans to welcome new members, particularly Eastern European countries eager to move away from Russia's influence. 
Ukraine, Moldova, Georgia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, all are moving forward on the long and winding road to membership. The European Commission has recommended that the EU's member states begin the process of negotiation with Ukraine and Moldova to make sure they are ready to join. It's a significant step forward which will boost membership hopes in both countries. But the process will be long, technical and still require some significant reforms from both countries. Nevertheless, EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen says the membership hopefuls have sent a clear message. All have understood the call or heard the call of history um, and that is that you have to choose. Um, you want democracy and prosperity or you want uh, an authoritarian regime. Georgia will also move forward in the process and be given candidate status on the condition that it addresses some of the EU's concerns on its democratic processes. And finally, progress for Bosnia and Herzegovina, for whom negotiations with member states will be given the green light on the condition that it improves freedom of expression and freedom of the press. Despite the challenging reforms ahead, European officials are eager to point out that these recommendations represent a significant shift for the future of Europe. They say these countries have chosen the path of European values and democracy. That was Alex Cadier in Brussels. The U.S. National Security Council said on Wednesday that Washington's used up 96% of the funds allocated for Ukraine and more than 90% of security assistance replenishment. Uh, spokesman John Kirby said the U.S. believes that Ukraine can win back its territory, but acknowledged progress was slow. Uh, since Russia launched its special military operation in February of last year, the U.S. has allocated more than $30 billion to Kyiv on top of billions of dollars in weapons assistance. Uh, this puts Ukraine at fifth among the top recipients of American aid. Uh, President Joe Biden last month asked Congress for nearly $106 billion in additional funding, mainly for Ukraine and Israel. Officials from the U.S. and Europe are reported to have suggested Ukraine negotiate with Russia to end the conflict, but Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has denied such uh, requests. 28 minutes past the hour now. Uh, Beijing's down to minus 2 overnight. It'll be cloudy with the high of 6 degrees on Friday. Chongqing's at 17 tonight, then uh, a light rain with the high of 21. Last is down to 0 overnight, followed by clouds in 14. Hong Kong's at 25 tonight. The city will see showers in 30 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 14 overnight. It'll see showers in 19 degrees on Friday. Islamabad's at 14 this evening, then partly cloudy in 24. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, followed by thunderstorms and a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi is getting thunderstorms in 23 and finally to Oceania. Sydney's at 18 this evening, then partly cloudy in 28. Auckland's down to 11, then mostly sunny in 19. Port Vila will be cloudy in 27 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, exhibitors at the China International Import Expo in Shanghai have signed half a billion dollars in deals. Israeli officials say the country's troops are now battling Hamas militants in the heart of Gaza City. Ukraine and Moldova have taken a step towards membership in the European Union. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. 
Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. The delivery of China's first homegrown large cruise ship has attracted not only ardent tourists, but also Western skeptics. The latter are touting the idea the cruise ship can become an amphibious assault challenge and can be used for military purposes. Seriously? How true is such an assertion? Cruise through this and other questions on this week's Chat Lounge, anywhere you get your podcasts and on CGTN Radio. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, still to come. In business, China wants to broaden market access for foreign-funded institutions. In sports, the Beijing Ducks secure a thrilling comeback victory in the CBA. In culture and entertainment, a Chinese artist featured at the UN Complex in New York. Contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with today's headline news, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping has sent congratulatory messages to Cambodia's King Norodom Sihamoni and Cambodian People's Party President Hong Sen over the 70th anniversary of Cambodia's independence. President Xi said China will firmly support Cambodia in maintaining stability, promoting development and improving livelihoods. This year marks the 65th anniversary of China-Cambodia diplomatic ties and the year of China-Cambodia friendship. The Chinese president said he attaches great importance to the development of China-Cambodia relations and stands ready to work with King Sihamoni to strengthen bilateral relations and jointly build a China-Cambodia community of a shared future. China says climate talks with the United States ended successfully on Wednesday. China's Environment Ministry says U.S. climate envoy John Kerry and his Chinese counterpart Xie Jinhua engaged in an in-depth exchange of views in California. The ministry notes that the two sides achieved positive results on bilateral climate change cooperation and action. The two countries also agreed to push for the success of the United Nations Climate Conference COP28 in the United Arab Emirates at the end of the month. More flights between China and the U.S. will be available from Thursday. The China Civil Aviation Authority says direct passenger services between the two nations are expected to rise to 70 per week from the current 48. This comes as the two sides have taken steps to resume previous levels of international passenger travel since the relaxation of pandemic rules in China. Chinese travel agency Chuna.com says airfares for direct flights between China and the United States have seen a relative decline of about 50% on average. 
A UN assistant secretary general has warned of the severe impact of the Russia-Ukraine conflict on civilians. Miroslav Yancha says nearly 10,000 civilians have died, and over 18,000 others have been injured since the conflict broke out in February last year. We continue to condemn, in the clearest terms, all attacks against civilians and civilian infrastructure, no matter where they take place and no matter who is responsible. Such attacks are prohibited under international humanitarian law. They are unacceptable and must cease immediately. Yenja also expressed concerns about the risk of further escalation of the conflict and its impact on regional and global security. He has called on members of the UN Security Council to prevent further escalation and spillover of the conflict and lay the foundations for sustainable peace. An expert is warning that glaciers in the Italian Alps are melting at a record pace amid the unusually high temperatures. Andrea Tofoletti with the Lombardy Glaciology Service says all glaciers are disproportionate in size compared to the current climate season. It means that the glaciers with the current size can't sustain the current climate impact, so they practically have to run after the current climate by getting smaller and smaller. As this balance line rises, it causes all glaciers to melt, especially in the parts further downstream at lower altitudes. The expert also expresses concerns about the longer melting season at high altitude, which also impacts the size of the glaciers. The season used to stop at either the end of October, August or the beginning of September, but it lasted until October this year. Data from the European Climate Agency shows that this October was the hottest on record globally, 1.7 degrees Celsius warmer than the pre-industrial average for the month. The National Academy of the Governance of China and Academies of Public Administration from five Central Asian countries have jointly launched a network to boost cooperation. The network is expected to serve as a platform for administrative institutions to boost exchanges, enhance cooperation, and seek common development. Insiders say it will provide a good opportunity for people-to-people exchanges and training, and cultivating public servants and officials. This new platform was launched at the Inter-Civilizational Communication and Global Development Forum in Beijing, which opened on Tuesday. The event attracted around 150 guests from over 30 countries to discuss issues concerning communication among civilizations and global development. Yeah, and that wraps up this edition of Headlines. All right, thank you very much. That was Wang Zihong reporting. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China wants to broaden market access for foreign-funded institutions. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 
37 minutes past the hour now. Turning to business, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished mixed on Thursday. The Shanghai Composite closed slightly above flat, while the Shenzhen Index dropped around 0.2%. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down around three-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei surged one and a half percent. Chinese authorities at the ongoing Financial Street Forum in Beijing say they'll further broaden market access for digital-funded institutions. Director Li Yunze of the National Financial Regulatory Administration says China will promote and support cross-border investment and financing. We will shorten the negative list and further broaden market access for foreign-funded institutions. We will also keep on enhancing the transparency stability and predictability of financial systems and policies to build an institutional environment featuring prudent operation and fair competition. So far, 30 globally vital banks have opened branches in China and nearly half of the world's top 40 insurance companies have entered the Chinese market. The animation industries emerged as a highlight of the financial street forum in Beijing, where experts and leaders from home and abroad have gathered to explore new trends. Zhou Feng spoke with uh, some of the participants for their insights. The field of pan animation extends beyond traditional animated films to all areas of animation applications. It connects resources from various fields and is now applied in such domains as entertainment, education, scientific research, urban planning and media communication. At the Financial Street Forum, participants agreed that the pan-animation industry has a wide audience base and immense market potential, making it a vast new blue ocean in the investment field. In recent years, the city of Beijing has regarded the industry as a new economic growth point. The government has issued multiple supportive measures, allocating no less than 15 million yuan or around 7 million US dollars in special funds annually to promote the growth of the industry. Wang Jiechun with Beijing Municipal Radio and Television Bureau says they have rolled out a slew of measures to further upgrade the industry and build a vibrant ecosystem. Firstly, we will focus on creating top-quality content and strive to establish a Beijing animation production model. We will continue to improve our various projects and create animated adaptations of Chinese folktales. Secondly, we'll make the most of platforms like the high-tech audiovisual industry park to promote the growth of animation industry clusters, set up funds to support animation, and cultivate leading animation companies with strong international appeal. Industry data shows that the output value of China's animation industry has grown from around 88 billion yuan in 2013 to over 220 billion yuan in 2020. The figure is projected to exceed 300 billion yuan this year. Ma Li with the China Animation Association says licensing of animated IP is an important source of revenue for the industry. In the 2022 Global IP Licensing Agency list, Chinese companies in the top 20 saw their total retail sales increase from 70 billion U.S. dollars in 2021 to over 80 billion. 
the release of the animated film Chang'an 3000 Miles in the summer led to an explosive growth in tourism in Xi'an. Just 10 days after the film's release, orders for in-store dining from out-of-province tourists in Xi'an surged by 387% over a year ago, while orders for hotels and homestays from out-of-province tourists increased by 339%. In 2020, the output value of animation companies in Beijing reached nearly 19 billion yuan. There are about 150 animation production agencies in the city, forming an extensive animation system that covers television, the internet, big screens and small screens. Bank of Beijing Vice President Dai Wei says they are committed to providing high-quality financial services for animation companies. By the end of September, we had provided support to over 160 production-oriented animation companies, with a total amount exceeding 3 billion yuan, covering the entire spectrum of creation, distribution and industry derivatives. We introduced the Beijing Audiovisual Animation Financial Service Plan and developed the cultural and tourism e-loan product. The financing support we offered has been crucial for many clients in their journey from cultural technology startups to becoming leading enterprises in the animation industry. Participants at the forum say with technological advancements, the production cycle and costs of animated films will continue to decrease. They also believe that the rapidly growing pan-animation industry is not only a new economic growth point, but also a new lifestyle and an effective media for sharing Chinese stories. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Fang reporting from the Beijing Financial Street Forum. China's annual consumer price index edged down 0.2% in October. The CPI dipped 0.1% from the previous month. In breakdown, food prices declined by 4% from a year earlier, and non-food items rose by 0.7%. Prices for consumer goods dipped by 1.1%, while services rose by 1.2%. Meanwhile, China's producer price index dropped 2.6% in October. The average PPI in the first 10 months of 2023 went down 3.1%. New survey shows thrifty spending could become this year's singles-day shopping model. The report found nearly 8% of respondents will not increase spending during the shopping festival. With more, Mike Walter spoke with Justin Cope, director of Alex Partners. Can you talk about this rational consumption? How's it going to impact things, do you think? Alex Partners have done an annual survey of consumers covering uh, anywhere between two to 3,000 survey respondents across different tier cities. And this year, we, you know, we see a flight to rational consumption. What we mean by that is that consumers are not basically not trading down, but they're actually doing a lot of comparison across different platforms to look for you know, things that they want to buy at the right price. On top of that, we see a lot of consumers actually looking for things that they need and uh, and actually meet the needs, right? So a lot of that is uh, also actually pushing or actually helping another trend of having Chinese brands actually meet that, that actually meet the needs of consumers better, actually seeing sales actually grow uh, during this period of time as well. What are some of the other trends that you're seeing uh, this year compared to last year, would you say? Uh, firstly, you know, sub-segments within the consumer uh, group uh, that become more and more important. Once again, you know, in our survey, we found that 
the silver economy, basically uh, consumers that are of the age of 65 and above, they become more and more important uh, in a lot of these sort of shopping festivals. So Double Eleven is actually one of those festivals that they actually, as a group, actually look forward to as well. Their needs are slightly different from the rest of the you know larger population. They look at you know stocking up on daily necessities as well as health supplements being two key categories for them to be shopping in. Uh, the other thing that they are also looking for is a lot more ease, you know, in, in terms of um, navigating this whole event. That was Justin Ko, the director of Alex Partners. Agriculture Minister Tong Renjian says China will see another bumper grain harvest this year. If we calculate grain production for the whole year, with a decrease in summer grain output and the increase in early rice and autumn grain production balancing out, the grain production will remain above 650 billion kilograms this year and may hit a new high. Tung said in the first three quarters of the year, online retail sales of agricultural products maintained double-digit growth, driving up farm incomes by 7.3 percent, higher than the volume growth rate uh, for urban incomes. Also noted that uh, over two-thirds of rural residents now have access to public toilets, and more than 90 percent of administrative villages have household waste regularly collected and transported for proper disposal. That was uh, business. And coming up uh, in sports, the Beijing Ducks secure a thrilling comeback victory in the CBA. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now turning to sports and here's brandon yates thank you shane chinese basketball association league action continued last night the beijing ducks claimed a thrilling 103 to 102 comeback victory over the nanjing monkey kings beijing coach ernest rajin admitted it was a tough match for his team uh, today was a difficult game for our team and our players were uh, sick and, uh, and chinese and, and tj Beijing player TJ Leaf said the first half wasn't great. We knew we didn't have a good first half. Like it was no, it was no secret. So we just wanted to tighten things up defensively, get out and transition a little more. And everyone, you know, everyone out there and, and executed. And we had a good second half. And I think we outscored them by like 18 and, and held them to 40 points in the second half. So that's what we tried to do, and we executed. So. Shannon Evans led Beijing with 34 points and six assists, and also gave credit to his team. Uh, just try to do everything. Try to. Uh, I feel like I've been doing a, a decent job by rebounding and passing, but my shot's been off. So I just try to get in the gym and, and shoot as much as I can and stay aggressive. But I give a lot of credit to my teammates. These guys believe in me, and they always encourage me. So. The Shandong Heroes crushed the Guangdong Southern Tigers 112-88. Mariel Shayok had 31 points, 6 rebounds and 8 assists. Elsewhere, the Zhejiang Golden Bulls defeated the Guangzhou Lung Lions 105-100. The Fujian Sturgeons trounced the Sichuan Blue Whales 140-129. In boxing, Alexander Usyk hopes his undisputed heavyweight world title fight with Tyson Fury can take place in February. Contracts were signed back in September for a December 23rd fight in Saudi Arabia. However, that date looks certain to be delayed due to Fury's near defeat to former UFC champion Francis Ngannou.
Usyk holds the WBA, WBO, IBF and IBO belts, and both he and Fury are unbeaten. Usyk said that the fight date should be decided sometime next week. A poll conducted by one of the world's biggest sports social media pages has listed Lionel Messi as the greatest athlete of all time. Puberty and Puberty Sport have a combined Instagram following of nearly 40 million. They asked followers to vote, and Football World Cup winner Messi topped the list with nearly 23% of the votes. Portuguese footballer Cristiano Ronaldo came in second, and boxing legend Muhammad Ali was third. Michael Jordan and Virat Kohli close out the top five. The remaining top 10 includes Usain Bolt, Mike Tyson, LeBron James, Serena Williams and Michael Phelps. UEFA Champions League football action produced some thrilling action last night. First up, FC Copenhagen defeated Manchester United 4-3. The game was filled with controversial officiating decisions, including a red card for United's Marcus Rashford. Copenhagen boss Jakob Nystrup believes his team is one of the best in the group. If you take the picture today, then we maybe didn't deserve three or maybe even one point. But if you take it over four rounds, then it's very, very well deserved that Copenhagen is on the second place because I believe truly that we have been the second best team over four games. Not today, but over four games. United manager Eric Ten Hag was left disappointed by the loss. It's clear and we are very disappointed. And because you play very good, I think um, we started the game so well, well best uh, minutes of this season. Uh, we are winning the game and I think the red card changes everything. And then we concede two goals before halftime, which should never have count. Uh, first is offside, second the penalty. And that is uh, in four games, four, four penalties against. And where I say three are very debatable. Elsewhere in selected results, Harry Kane's late brace led Bayern Munich to a 2-1 win against Galatasaray. Arsenal defeated Sevilla 2-0, Real Madrid put three past Braga and last season runners-up Inter Milan edged Red Bull Salzburg 1-0. The European Court of Human Rights will hear the case involving two-time 800 meter Olympic champion Casta Semenya. The Grand Chamber will make a final ruling following a referral request from the Swiss government. Semenya wants to overturn requirements that certain female athletes medically reduce their testosterone levels. Semenya's competitive running days are likely over, however the South African remains committed to the legal battle against world athletics. South African rugby star Dwayne Vermeulen has announced his retirement from the game. The 37-year-old's illustrious Springbok career spanned 76 tests over 11 years. He won SA Rugby Player of the Year on two occasions. He is also one of only two players that has won the Curry Cup with three different unions. The loose forward started in South Africa's 2019 and 2023 World Cup final victories. In the 2019 final, Vermeulen was awarded Man of the Match. Rugby World Cup referee Wayne Barnes wants online trolls held to account. Barnes has been receiving vile abuse on social media in the aftermath of the final game. Barnes retired days after officiating South Africa's 12-11 victory. In that match, he handed New Zealand captain Sam Kane the first red card in a World Cup final. The 44-year-old has since received online threats against himself, his wife and kids. And finally, the Live Golf League is introducing a transfer window. They say it is the first in professional golf, allowing teams to trade players mid-season. It will also extend contracts to golfers in the final year of their deals. 
the exact dates of the mid-season trade window were not revealed. According to the circuit, the first phase of Live Golf's off-season player movement is already underway. The top 24 players are guaranteed an opportunity to compete in the league next season. Players in the lock zone with expiring contracts are offered a minimum one-year deal. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a Chinese artist featured at the UN Complex in New York. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. It's 54 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, a massive steel sculpture named Undercurrent by celebrated artist Zheng Lu is on view in New York until August of next year. It's located in the uh, uh, Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza just outside the United Nations complex. The plaza was created in the mid-20th century when 47th Street was widened to accommodate the new UN headquarters. Zheng's the first Chinese artist to have his work exhibited there. The sculpture was created especially for that site and relates to recent UN climate action initiatives. The public art project is supported by the World Council of Peoples for the United Nations, which is dedicated to facilitating international partnerships that promote UN goals. Music fans retreated to instrumental flights of fancy in the capital. The Beijing Music Festival featured a, a classic repertoire. Yang Yan has more. On the first day of the festival, Symphonic Suite by Zhou Ye was performed, paying tribute to the late Chinese composer Liu Tianhua. The concert presented his vast assortment of musical compositions, particularly his renditions using the Erhu and Pipa, two traditional Chinese instruments. The festival is more than just as a celebration of music. It also symbolizes international friendship. Classical music lovers from all over the world come together, sharing their expertise and passion. Live music is a sharing experience, and it's to do with listening, and to do with playing together, to do with feeling each other. And we very much suffered from not able to do that in the last few years. And uh, we say cross-cultural, you know, we say cross-cultural collaborations, but I often remem remember to ask myself what it means really, you know, if, if you're designing a concert, what it really means. It doesn't mean talking, it, it means playing together, agreeing on something, or debating on something, or trying to find a way to present the work with, with, with new energy. The festival featured various musical genres, but highlighted the energy and talent of young classical musicians. Kim Zhang performed a piano recital integrating digital art and stage design on the same platform. I felt like it was a very different way of performing. And it's very different when you have digital art and you know stage performance at the same time. Um, for me, it was very immersive. Uh, we had a different stage to perform on. Uh, we, we, we didn't perform on a concert hall this time. We, I think it was a city art center where the audience is very close to me. And so, you know, when we, we perform, and we have very high concentration and we could hear everything that's going on. So uh, it was very different, but I, I enjoyed it.
This is Jin Yuquan's second time conducting at the Beijing Music Festival. He worked with the Malo Foundation Festival Orchestra in the final performance. For me, it's uh, really about um, working with young musicians and uh, to have my uh, friends seeing uh, different people and uh, West and East uh, collaborating together. I think that's um, is most important for me. That was Yang Yan reporting. Uh, archaeologists have unearthed more than 1,000 ancient stone artifacts in northern China. They date back to the Paleolithic era between 2.6 million and 10,000 years ago. The site's in Shanxi province. It includes stone tools and many other artifacts. Now, 58 minutes past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the day in Beijing's down to minus 2 overnight. It'll be cloudy with the high of 6 degrees on Friday. Chongqing's at 17 this evening, then a light rainfall with the high of 21. Last is down to zero, then uh, cloudy skies in 14. Hong Kong's at 25 tonight. It'll see showers in 30 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 14 this evening. Showers in 19 on Friday. Islamabad's down to 14, then some clouds in 24. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, followed by thunderstorms and a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting thunderstorms in 23. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 18 this evening, then partly cloudy in 28. Auckland's down to 11, then sunny in 19, Port Vila, cloudy and 27 Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, exhibitors at the China International Import Expo in Shanghai have signed half a billion dollars in deals. An Israeli official said the country's troops are now battling Hamas militants in the heart of Gaza City. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 